Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Well, um, I'm going to invite April to team up, and we're going to have a conversation. This week is, is going to be a, a little bit different. And uh, I think it's good. Well, a couple things. Let's start with this. I, I heard there's a, a Catholic writer and priest who I heard once say that um, there was not much to be learned from your successes after you turned 30 years old. Uh, and being a decade past 30 now, I, I won't tell them how many decades you are past. past. I appreciate that. <laughs> I knew uh, praying last night was a good yeah, idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> I'm fast. I can duck. Um, being, being a decade past 30, uh, I, think, I think he's on to something. That um, the, the things I learn most from are my failures and uh, the things that end up going wrong. And, and so I think, um, I think conversations are a critical way of understanding and learning from those failures. Because uh, sometimes we, when we have those failures, when we do mistakes and whatnot, uh, as, a, as individuals and as a church... Um, I think the best way to deal with that is to, to talk about them. And, and because people, um, people have a tendency to be able to see things in us that we might not see ourselves. Uh, so we may ask ourselves, you know, what part did I play in this mistake or this failure? We may not be able to come up with it, but, uh, but someone else might. April might be able to come up and say, this is where you, this is where you went wrong. Um, and I think when I, when I think about the, uh, the church in America specifically, uh, I think the church has... Uh, failed in a, in a lot of ways. Not necessarily ours, maybe, maybe. Um, but that if, if we're going to become the people that God wants us to become, if we're going to grow in all of the different ways that we might grow, spiritually, uh, in maturity, and in numbers, uh, we have to have conversation. We, we have to be open to conversations with other people because uh, it opens us up to, to each other to, uh, for vulnerability and things like that. And so I think the church, uh, in order for it to be for us, too, uh, we need to have more conversation. Uh, we need to listen more and maybe shout just a little bit less. Uh, we need to ask more questions and maybe be a little bit less certain about having all of the answers to everything. Um, and so I, that's part of the, the, the thing behind our conversation today. And uh, at least that's what I hope for our church, is that um, as we have conversation with each other about who we are, about what God's calling us to, about our past mistakes and failures, um, and how God has worked through those things, um, that we will, we will be able to have those conversations then with the, the community that surrounds us and uh, be able to share the, the love and the, the grace and the faithfulness that we have received from God. Um, so uh, April Dettin is with us, and uh, I love having conversations with her because it's fun. <laughs> and uh, so we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to see how this goes. We may do something similar. Uh, I don't know. If this goes well, uh, I might have more conversations with all of you. Um, so uh, it, anyway, conversations are better than, than monologue, and that's what I do every week. And uh, I'm sick of hearing myself talk. So uh, with that, uh, a lot of people here know you, but would you give us just a, you know, a, brief, a brief little kind of synopsis of your life, sure. where you've been, and, and what's brought you uh, to hear and us. 
My name is April Dettine. I'll be 51 in about five days. Is that two decades past 30? It is. I'm glad, we're, I'm glad that you're doing math. I, I start math tomorrow, college math, so I'll be calling you. Okay, okay good. Since you can do math. Good. Okay, great. Because all, all, three, of my, all <laughs> yeah. three of my children can I, do I'm math. I'm terrified of the math I'm about to start tomorrow. <laughs> um, that's another story for another day. But um, I grew up here. This is my church, my home church. So um, I believe probably Janice is probably the only person that's been going to this church longer, over a longer period of time than I have. So this is home. Oh, and, yep. I didn't see you. You snuck behind there. Um, So this is home for me. I'm also a recovering addict. I just cleared my eight years clean in December. Been to prison twice. I'm a five-time felon. Uh, I've been trafficked. Raped, beaten, abused, you name it. I've had an abortion, done it all. Uh, All of the things that we talk about in the church uh, that are bad, I've done them. I'm going to be revealing one today that um, I have not revealed in too much of a public setting before. Um, I am a huge ally of the LGBTQ community. And for those of you that don't know, it is because I have an attraction to women just as much as I do men, so I am a part of the LGBTQ community. Um, I'm with a man. I love him very much. But the reality is I am a part of that community. And the LGBTQ community always kind of gets the shaft a little bit when it comes to Christianity. And so I felt that talking about it in my home church where I'm safe and loved, um, would be something that I would be interested in doing because I think it's important, as Jason stated, that we get reminded of why we're here. Not by the rules and not by the judgments. Although we need a huge amount of accountability as we move through our lives, we also need to have some forgiveness and some faith and a little less judgment of people because the reality is We never, ever, ever know. If you asked anybody 10 years ago that goes to this church, my Aunt Debbie went to church here for years and years, if you would have asked them 10 years ago if I would live to see another day, they would have told you no. And I probably shouldn't have. (laughs) Actually, I've been almost killed numerous times, actually. Um, But there came a point in things where God had different plans for me. And um, his plans were to bring me back to life. Because not only had I nearly been killed by drug dealers and rapists and traffickers and whomever, uh, I tried to kill myself on multiple occasions because I didn't want to live. I couldn't take anymore. And there came a day that I fell to my knees right before I got arrested the last time. And I had lost everything. I had no home. I had no family left. My daughters were gone. I had been addicted to meth for like, I don't know, nine or ten years. I just was done. Um, And I fell to my knees. And I begged God to let me die. I begged him. I wanted to die so bad. And he listened. (laughs) But I didn't get to die. He plucked me out of hell and put me in jail. (laughs) 
And honestly, in comparison, jail was like a resort compared to a life of of drugs and trauma and abuse. And um, I started coming back to church here. I don't know. I was about a year clean. And Dan was here. Gary had already retired. The other guy had left. And Dan was here. And I like Dan a lot. And one of my first ever speaking events um, was here in my home church because, you know, safety. It's where you need to do those things when you begin. And then Dan was here for about a year. And then Jason and Lori came. And I have to tell you that you two are two of my most favored people on the planet. Because you love without conditions. Like, never was there a time, even from the minute that we met, that you were like, mm, or Lori was like, mm. it wasn't that. It was, it was a love without conditions. And that is the most Christ-like love that could ever be emulated from people. And part of the reason that I'm still here today is because of that. So that's who I am, and here we go. Well, um, you, you've said a lot of things that we could, we could touch on there. Um, uh, you, your experience with the church, and we'll, we'll kind of work backwards from that, um, as, as being unconditional loving, uh, has, has that been your primary experience no. with the church no. uh, overall? And, and no. Uh, just tell us a little bit about that. I go into a lot of churches all over and speak like I'm doing today. Um, I kind of steered away from it, but that's all I did in the beginning. So the first three years that I was clean, I only spoke in churches. And I kind of steered away from that a little bit because you go into these churches and people that don't know you, usually there's a picture behind me. We didn't put it up today because I'm kind of trying to get away from that specific picture but if you've ever seen it seen it many of you have it was my prison picture and my hair's pulled out and I have black eyes and I look like I'm dead and I literally was dead but that picture would be behind me and um, one of the things that I learned by going from church to church all different kinds of churches is people can be very judgmental from the moment that you walk in now they may not necessarily judge me as I'm coming in but you start to see those little bit of sneers that you were a drug addict or, you know, sneers that you were promiscuous or sneers that you were this and that. And they're very hurtful, especially when you are trying to put your story out there. And so it, it takes away from what I'm willing to give up mm-hmm. because if I don't have any, if I don't see any kind of uh, encompass of safeness, there are just certain things I'm not going to talk about in specific churches because why would I? Mm -hmm. I know coming into a lot of these that I'm going to be judged. I get that. Should I be judged? Well, about as much as the same people that gossip or commit adultery or do other things because I've told you this multiple times. I don't ever want to weigh the scales of sin, so I don't want my sin to go up against yours. And I don't want your sin to go up against mine because we really don't know at the end of the day, what God's going to say, this is the worst of the worst. Maybe it'll be my sin, but maybe it'll be somebody's that gossiped or that cheated on their wife or, or whatever the case may be. 
And so I steered away from the church quite a bit because I had just gotten to a point where I would dread going into a church and talking. And this is supposed to be our safe space. This is supposed to be our hospital. This is supposed to be, this is God's home. This is not our home. This is not your church or my church or our church. This is God's home. And if I walk into a building that is not the home of God, I'm very careful with what I say. So, um, Part of what I hear you saying is that like, you felt, because of the specific sins that you had dealt with, um, that people who were maybe no less sinful but in a different way um, were, were thinking specific things about you without even really knowing who you are and the things that you've experienced and that have, have brought you that, to that particular place. Right? Yeah. Well, and you think about it like this. Um, and this was one of the things that, which made the turn for me last year when I decided I was going to start doing these back in churches more so than just publicly speaking. The, the term for me was, you know, the least of us. God's always used the least of us and made, our histories have been made out of the least of us. And if I don't come into the church or people like me don't come into the church and have these types of difficult Conversations, even knowing that we're going to be looked down upon or sneered at or judged, how is anything ever going to change? We're not going to change. We're not going to change the minds and the body of the church. Are my sins any different than anybody else's? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, eight years ago, God plucked me out of hell and said, you're going to be the one I send to talk about being worthy of God's love. Did you, was there, was there ever a time where you felt like, like you were just completely a lost cause, uh, unredeemable, if, if, that, if that might be the case? So, people that know me, they, they've heard this conversation about me a lot. I, that was my line. Like, man, please leave me alone because I am a lost cause. Like, for real. I'm going to need you to leave me alone. And I'm violent. Um, I know none of you see that now, thankfully, because that is a streak that God has taken from me, but I can be quite violent, and that's because I was, I've lived in a violent world for 43, 43 years of my life. But I would tell everybody, please leave me alone, because I am literally a lost cause. I don't have time for God. I don't have time for you praying for me. I don't have time for any of this. I'm trying to survive a life that was given to me, and then I made worse. And that's what I would tell people. And so as uh, I started to get clean and started kind of healing, I, it went from I'm, I was a lost cause and now I'm cause for the lost. Because one of the things that I do is not just speak in churches. I speak to addicts every day. I speak to survivors every day. Sometimes to the point of exhaustion where many of you have seen, I'm just like, I need a break. So I'm shutting my phone off for a couple days. And I think that's my break. And then I turn my phone back on, and I have 97 messages instead of seven. So, yeah, I was definitely um, lost cause material. What, um, what facilitated, maybe more specifically, the, 
the transition from you seeing yourself as a lost cause to, to not being so, but to being someone who, who God might speak through. I was in jail. And many of you know the lady I'm about to speak of. Uh, she was bondsman here. She still lives here. Works at the free store. Name's Marilyn Turner. Good friend of mine. Amazing lady. She's bondsman. She was my bondsman for years. Probably got frequent flyer miles left over from her because she had to come get me out of jail so much. Uh, but she came to see me. <coughs> Excuse me. She came to see me in jail. And I had been there for, I don't know, two or three weeks maybe. So I was really starting to understand the capacity of where I was and how much damage I had done. And Marilyn came to see me, and she's like, April, your bond's been dropped. I can get you out. Like, and I, I call it God's finger in my brain. He does this to me a lot. He sticks his finger in my brain, and whatever that is, that's him telling me. And he said, you will die. Didn't want to die that. By that point, like, I don't want to die yet. Now that I've had you know, a few clean days. I want to, I want to think about this. (laughs) And so I told Marilyn, I said, if you get me out of here, I'll die. And she said, okay. And we talked just random, you know, you look good. Looks like you're eating. Well, I hadn't eaten and slept in eight years. So, you know, a couple of meals and a couple nights sleep do a lot for you. And I went back to my cell. It's not, wasn't a cell. We were a bunch of women in a big room, basically like this with bunks, metal bunks and all that. And, um, I am like, what do you want? What do you want from me? Like, I can't anymore, God. Like, I don't understand. What do you want? And the finger in the brain again, and it's um, now that you're listening, we have work to do. And that was my moment. Um, but it was a long road to yeah. that moment. Was it, was it just you have work to do to... Uh, tell your story and have that help people was also work to do like for yourself I didn't know you didn't know I didn't know um I didn't know but I knew that I could hear God's voice again you know I've been in the church my entire life my aunt Debbie's been bringing me to church since I was a little 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 girl five years old four or five years old and so I've always you know known God and the church and faith and all of these things but I could finally hear God talking to me again it was because I'd gone to him you know, I had gone from, I don't want to hear it, to please just tell me. Let me die or tell me what now. Tell me what you want. And it took me a while. Um, I was probably a year and a half clean before I did my first speaking event. And I was doing a lot of healing at the time, you know, trying to figure out who I am and what all I had done and where I was going to go with this. I was taking care of my mom who was sick and... Um, and I was started school, college, and I'm like, man, this is not working, though. I'm doing all these things. You know, I'm doing all the right stuff. I'm staying clean, taking care of my family. But this is not working for me. Like, it's this big ball of quicksand that sits in your chest. And I'm like, all right, God. Like, I'm cool with everything that's going down, but why do I still feel like this? It's like, because you're not talking about it. You're not doing anything with it. And if you don't do something with it, then all of it's been in vain. And why are you still here? And I'm like, bro, for real? Because that's how him and I are. I'm like, hey, bro, we get our God and everybody gets their God and their Jesus in different ways. And and I talk to him in the way that he's used to me talking to him. And I think sometimes he's just glad I'm talking to him. (laughs) And so I'm like, bro, what do you want? And there was... uh, 
at the time, Pastor Dave was still alive, and he was doing NAAA meetings in the gym. Uh, and he, I reached out to him, and I'm like, okay, Dave, like, I need to get some of this off my chest. What do you got for an NAAA group? And he was like, I've got a group of girls. Cool. And I came up here, wrote my little speech. You know, it was all on paper then. This was talking about five or six years ago. And had my big poster board that had my uh, prison picture and my clean picture together and all of these things. And I walk in, and there's about 15 girls over there. And they range, Rosa Parks girls. They range in age from, I think, uh, 11, 12-ish to 18-ish. And there's probably 12 or 15 of them over there. And I'm like, cool, little girls. I can handle little girls because used to be one. And I knew about Rose Parks, you know. So I go over there and I read off my little thing and every little girl in the room is bawling. And I'm like, dude, I broke them. Like, what have I done? God, why would you have me do that? Like, that's not okay. And told them all. I thanked them for coming. And one by one, here comes a little girl. This happened to me when I was young. This happened to me when I was young. And this happened to me when I was young. And I'm bawling and they're bawling. And they're not nearly as broken as I think they are. Just never had anybody that they could look at and say, that happened to me and you're still okay. You're alive. And it just went from there. I, I, one of the things that... Uh I find it interesting. I think as a church, we love to tell stories of people, people's redemption, um, their salvation. And, but like, it, it feels like the, the reception that you would receive from uh, a completely non-churched audience um, was one of identification and thank you. I, I see my own struggles in your story. Um, and... What, was it received that same kind of way whenever you would speak with uh, religious audiences? No. What, no. Why, do you, why do you think, that, given our, our, our love for hearing what Jesus can do in people's lives, why do you think that would be the case? Um, I think we have our own preconceived notions about what God wants, right? Like, the Bible says this, and this, and this, and we take that in. Because the Bible is God's book, right? So we take that in, and I think we became very, I think we become stern in our beliefs of things. And so when we do that, we, you know, we get set in our ways about things. Like, you're not supposed to do that. And I don't do those things. How dare you? Yeah. But I have. But that didn't ever mean that God didn't say, hey, <laughs> and now you're going to go to work. Because... Nobody gets to make that decision but God. And so regular audiences don't have those preconceived notions or judgments or any of those things. They're just like, what does this woman have to say? And it's always the same thing. But the reception is always just a little bit different. And that's okay. I mean, it is okay. Doing what I do now, as difficult as it can be, it will never be as difficult as the hell I lived in for 43 years. Never. So I can stand some judgment. I can stand some things like that. It won't stop me. But it does make me mindful. And I shouldn't have to be mindful in the church. Like, should I? Should I have to be mindful? I'm mindful about the fact, you know, you probably shouldn't cuss in church, although I have. 
Um, that's okay. There's a lot of people who have said a lot of, a lot of things in this space. that <laughs> I have. But we want to be mindful about what we think about people because you don't know, I don't know, that God is not using that person to teach me something, show me something, to teach all of us something. And when we get set in those, we lose empathy. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is, no matter what, before any of us think anything about anyone, we should probably be accountable for who we are and what we think. That was going to be my next question, because I I feel like um, the reaction to to the, you, you shouldn't be judgmental kind of thing is a lot of people, especially Christians, will react, well, that's just a license to do whatever you want to do. And it's, you know, it's my excuse to be saying, well, you can't judge me because, I, you know, who are you? And, and then I get to continue to do whatever I want to that may not be, be right or good or loving or kind. And so, like, how, does, how, do we, how do we have accountability without judgmentalism? Like, what's, what's that look like maybe? Being accountable for something is saying, this is who I am, this is what I've done, and that is between God and I when I get there. Being judgmental is saying, I am judging you because you are this, and I don't really care what God says. Or where you might be in the journey. In the journey. In the journey towards. Right. That's the difference. Accountability and judgment are way apart. And I think part of the problem is we've started to put them a little bit together, and we can't do that. You know, none of us know. We, the Bible says what it says, and that's great. God has shown us for centuries that he will take a prostitute or the lame or, or and rise them up to help, to become something that people need. Am I that person? In some cases. But there's millions others just like me that are afraid. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of the judgment. They can't take it. I can, because I'm built different. <laughs> <laughs> I can take it. Do I like it? No. Does it hurt? Yes. Have I cried more tears than I care to talk about? Yes. But the bottom line is, if we don't do this, none of the next generations or the generations now that are really struggling are going to come to a place of worship. One of the kids that I talked to recently, a stepdaughter of mine, I, I asked her, she's not, she's a non-believer, and I said, would you ever come? And she was like, mom, why would, ever I, go, why would I ever go to a place where I'm going to feel judged the minute I walk in the door? And my heart sank. Why would she, though? How would I ever get her here to any church? If they're going to feel judged because they have purple hair, because they have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or because they've done drugs, or because they've been promiscuous, why would they ever come here knowing that that's what they feel? Mm-hmm. That didn't just start. It's been ingrained. Got to stop doing that. So how, how, do we, uh, how do we move towards being genuinely... Uh, well, genuinely hospitable. So hospitality. Um, what what do we? What should the church? Can the church do better in order to be like? Okay, I'm checking my judgmental attitude 
I'm going to uh, consider more of where this person has been that has brought them to this place. Like, how do we how do we do that more? Love. Love is the most valuable tool that we have. Love. Jesus loved us. He didn't say we were right. He didn't sit down with people and go, hey, you're right in what you're doing. He never did that. He didn't do that. He didn't do what the people that he spoke with or led did. He loved them regardless, without conditions. I think it's, it's funny. Um, like the, the majority of the, especially in the Gospels, of the people who we see um, understanding who Jesus is most fully are people who are are outside of Israel, so non-Jewish or, or outside of the religious establishment. Um, so I, I think that like for our own benefit, for our own ability to minister into a community, like we have to, we have to see those folks um, and, and what they might have to teach us rather than... Human. Yeah. Humanity. Human. They're human. You know, I talked with you about a lady friend of mine the other day, and I'm going to speak on her today. Um, She's a witch before anybody gasps. She doesn't believe what I believe. She has her own God and her own beliefs. We've been friends for, I don't know, six or seven months. And one day she messaged me, and she hadn't been doing very well. She's in the military, was in the military. And she was like, April, will you pray to your God for me? Yes, I will. No judgment. I love her just like I love everybody that I come in contact with because you don't know <laughs> what God is going to do for her to say, will you pray to your God to, for me? Yes, I will, baby. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to do it right now, so let me get back to you in a couple of minutes. That's the power of love. That's the power of being who you're supposed to be in in the church and in the eyes of the ruler the real judge had I judged her because she said I don't believe what you believe think she would have ever asked me to pray for her no that's a win in my book yeah Yeah. (laughs) like that's a win in my book I I think one of the things that are the tradition that we come out of talks about um about God's grace and things, but we we believe that that God's grace is always kind of there in the background, always always calling, always whispering whispering our name. And I, I feel like you're you would admit that that's that's a, a huge part of your story, especially yeah. uh, before you know you need Jesus. You, you like he's he's there calling and drawing you to yourself. And I think I feel like when we don't when we don't em, embrace people who are a hot mess, um, that, that we're actually working against God's plan. Preventing grace, prevenient grace that, that's, yeah. that's drawing, uh, drawing them to him. Um, I, think, I think forgiveness has to play a part in there as well. Like it's, it's, the love is great. And, and it, but I think, honestly, I think the forgiveness has to start with, with us, like recognizing and realizing that I am, I am a broken person as well in different ways um, but the God who we say is calling to all of us is, is calling to me too um, and that it's an invitation then to be like hey I don't I'm figuring this out myself let's, let's link arms and try to figure this out together um, 
let's let's have these conversations. Let's admit that we're all a part of a, a journey, a process, and where we are right now is where we are, uh, knowing that God is finger in the brain, finger in the push, brain. you know, thumb in the back a little bit, pushing, us, and that that God's speaking to us through a whole host of different people, not just ones who might have religious credentials. Yeah, and so forgiving, forgiveness is, like, especially for somebody like me, it's one of the hardest things in the world. That was one of my bigger tasks was forgiving because I had so much to be angry about um, at other people and at myself. And so um, I've been working with my daughters. I got connections back to them once I started getting clean. And I've been working with my daughters and learning how to be a mom at 50 is hard when you have daughters that are in their 20s and they're like you. Um, so we're, we're learning together, you know, that mom is still learning how to be a mom. But one of the things that I do with them every so often, every month or month or so ago, is I, I apologize. You know, make sure that I am apologetic because their life could have been different had mine been different. But one of the bigger things that I do with them, and it's been the most valuable, is I ask them every so often, is there anything that you think that I need to be held accountable for, for you? for you to heal that maybe I don't remember because there's a lot I don't remember drugs abuse you just you put those things away um and it has been one of the most valuable things that has come of my journey because the girls are like no for the most part they'll be like no mom I think you got it but I love you and I appreciate you for asking me I think there's I think there's something so powerful about that that like your interest in repairing the damage that you did to your daughters. Yeah. Um, Top priority outside of my relationship with God and moving forward is, is it, fixing that. It comes not from a place of like, <laughs> I'm better than you now, Mm-mm. but it's from a place of um, forgive me, help me to stay accountable, um, that it's, it's from below instead of above. And, um, and in that, I think in that process where you're, trying to seek the healing of your daughters that you are finding healing as well sure. like that that's that it's intimately wound together um uh for for both of you and i think i think maybe that's one of the the pieces the church has missed um that uh that are we come at it from above well you can't than, and, you can't heal people if you're standing on top of them <laughs> that is uh Right? Yeah, no, you can't. You can't. No. How do you do that? Yeah. You do it every Sunday. You have us put our hands out and you say a benediction, and that's that's how. By lifting. You can't heal people and fix people and you can't love people if you've got your foot on their throat. You can't do that. I'm sorry. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, I uh, yeah, that's that's a that's a powerful image there. Um so I, I, I think, thank you for, for having this conversation. I feel like uh, all, of my, all of my hopes and dreams for what the church should be, um, I think are, are rooted in uh, not standing on top of people. Um, they're rooted in uh, seeking somebody else's healing, not uh, from a place of power, but from a place of uh, I may have wronged you. We may have wronged you. I'm not perfect. Let's, let's heal together. And, 
Um, I think that when, when we do that, one, we'll, we'll be a little bit better human beings. Right. Uh, more faithful followers of Christ. Right. I think we'll be, we will be more faithful to the, the community around us. Um, and that we'll be able to lift more people uh, in, in the power of Christ. Uh, yeah. I, do you have any, anything else you want to add to that? No. Um, I appreciate you guys. Specifically, this is my home church, so I've cried a lot of tears in this church. I've been lifted up by a lot of people in this church, been supported for eight years, for longer than that, because there were plenty of times before I got it together that there were people in this church praying for me, going, gosh, how is this ever going to work? But I figured it out. And so just as a general, this is my church family. I appreciate all of you. There's new people here, love um, seeing that. I hope we draw more new people here. Um, as a church right now, we have a lot of love in this room. You can literally feel it if you feel those kinds of things. And so um, I appreciate your time, of course. I know I've bothered you several times, come up here and shocked you. And No, they're, they're always... Uh, <laughs> I, I should. I, I, know you know, I know you're not drinking coffee right now. I'm but not, like, uh, yeah. I did drink coffee, some this morning. This <laughs> coffee and conversation go yeah. in better. I and, and I have, I have grown uh, because of my conversations with you and with a lot of you uh, as yeah. well. Um, and so, uh, thank you for being part of this. Thank you for saying this is a group of people who can help me be everything that God is calling me to be and help me to do the things that God is calling me to do. Um, and I hope that. Uh, I hope that you feel in this place with these folks um, the same way. Uh, you all feel that same way for us. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll do the, the benediction. And uh, just reflecting, since you brought that up, I think it's uh, the benediction we use comes from Thessalonians or Ephesians. I can't remember which. Uh, I think it's Ephesians. Um, and it talks about uh, placing our, our trust and our faith in in the God who's able to do more than we could ask or imagine. And I, and I think if, if, you were, if we were talking to pre-eight years ago, April, uh, you would not be able to ask or imagine anything close to what you have now. Oh, no, I didn't think I would be alive. And so, <laughs> and so it's, it's living, living embodied proof of God's ability to do more than we could ask or imagine. And, and so the call for us, I think, is to, to ask, what, what is God hoping that we might imagine for ourselves, for our church, and for our community? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, your faithfulness, your grace to us. Uh, we thank you that uh, in your grace you uh, don't look at us in judgmental ways. Certainly, you've uh, sought to keep us accountable for uh, the sins we commit, for the mistakes that we've made. Um, but in that accountability, you've called us to growth, um, to maturity, to faithfulness. Uh, Lord, help us in that same way uh, to not look at each other with judgment, uh, to not look at our friends and family with judgment. Um, Help us, though, to be empathic and compassion, compassionate and sympathetic. Uh, that what we might call people 
in your name to a greater and more faithful and more loving life. Uh, that we do so with, a, with an attitude and a posture of, of, uh, of service and healing. Uh, Lord, the work that you have to do in us is great. And we ask that you would continue to do that work in us. Uh, the work that you have for us to do uh, together is also great. And so we ask that your, your spirit would come, uh, that would work in us uh, so that we might do the work that you're calling us to do uh, in our families in Fulton and Callaway County in Missouri and in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.